Hearing voices? I'm hearing voices. You're listening to Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. His voice may be familiar. He's the Turn 3 broadcaster for the world's greatest network, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. And we'll talk about that, but we'll talk about more of his story. We're joined this morning by Jake Query. I want to start with a general question before we talk about some of the specifics. When you look back over the last 25 years of your life, what do you think? Hey, that's a great question. First off, I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, I, I, I can actually answer that pretty easily, and that is that I think to myself, every once in a while, I, I look back and I think, okay, so I'm going to wake up and this was all like, at times it seems like it came really easily, and then at other times I look back at, at things that I, and I never had a difficult life, don't get me wrong, I've, had, I've been very fortunate, very blessed, but... You know, I think to myself, I guess it did work out because there were so many times as a younger person where I was worried that it didn't, that it wasn't going to work out. But it was when, and this is going to sound weird, but it was it was when I quit worrying about the direction of where my life was going when I finally realized that the road that I was on was paved very smoothly for me. But it was once I just kind of let things happen naturally and organically as opposed to tried to obsess over where I was headed. I want to transport you back to high school. Uh, what was high school like, and when did you first meet Gene White? So I had a fabulous high school experience. Um, actually, it's interesting. When I was a young, when I was a kid, my family, you know, I grew up in Indianapolis. My parents were both natives of Indianapolis. We lived in Shelbyville, Indiana when I was born, although I was born in Indy. And when I was entering kindergarten, my parents moved back to Indianapolis. My dad was in the steel business, worked for a steel company in Shelbyville because they wanted us to go to school in Washington Township Schools in Indianapolis. And so I entered kindergarten and went to Washington Township Schools. And I was fortunate to be able to go to the school for kindergarten all the way through senior high school with the same group of kids, the same group of buddies. And I had an idyllic childhood. I mean, I had parents that were supportive and around all the time. I had parents of friends that were the same way, little league, everything. And then in high school, uh, you know, I was very involved. I played sports in the first half of my high school career and then realized that radio was really what I wanted to do. So I got into the high school radio station and did play-by-play for football and basketball my junior and senior year with a guy named Adam Alexander that now does NASCAR on television. Um, And then... In my senior year, North Central, I attended the largest non-bust high school in the United States, Indianapolis North Central High School. And it was interesting. In my senior year, which would have been the fall of 1990, we, our principal had left after my junior year. And there was, you know, this scuttlebutt of who's going to be the new principal. And the only thing that we knew, and there was by no means or stretch was there any sort of a racial hostility in Washington Township or Indianapolis at that time, certainly relatively speaking to, to periods that other people, and certainly people of color, have had to live through in this country. I, there was no comparison. But there was an increased, I think, awareness amongst my African-American classmates about just having the pride and voice of being African-American. And, you know, there was an increased cultural awareness of that for young people at that time. Spike Lee movies were becoming popular. Rap music was becoming more mainstream. And I think to a lot of the, the very, like, white bread, 
sector of the township, it wasn't necessarily something of hostility, but rather maybe of just a discomfort level or an unawareness of how to handle some of that. And so when they announced that they had hired a black principal, there was a lot of, oh gosh, like how are things gonna change? How are they gonna be different? And on my first day of school, my senior year, we all knew that we had a new principal named Dr. White, Dr. Eugene White, who had come from Fort Wayne Wayne High School. And the first day of school, we walked in and he was sitting in the student center of North Central High School, a school of nearly 4,000 kids. And he knew every kid. He knew every kid's name. He knew, I remember I was with my buddy Mike Hillary and we walked up to introduce ourselves. And he knew who I was and he said to Mike Hillary, yeah, I know you Mike and I know your little brother Matt who plays football. And we very quickly found out he had requested the yearbooks and studied them for the entire time between when he was hired and when school started. And he immediately, immediately, for a guy that I think many people, not me, not my parents, but certainly other people within the township, for a guy that people maybe had apprehension that they were fearful that he was going to represent a division, he was the most unifying and magnetic natural leader that I've come across. And I've covered sports, I've covered politics, you name it. I have never been around somebody that had a better understanding of how to connect to people and then connect people to one another than Dr. Eugene White. This is the voice of Jake Query. He joins us this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. We're available 24 hours a day at whtc.com. Also, Apple, Google, Spotify. And if you correspond with me and are polite, I promise to respond. You went from that first day to Dr. White having an enormous impact on your life. Talk about that. Well, I remember, Scott, when I was at North Central, you know, I was in student council and I was involved in that. And I was the, quote, spirit committee chairman, which meant basically that it was my job to try to get people to go to the football games and the basketball games and get excited about North Central. And and so I walked up to Dr. White to introduce myself at that first meeting. And, you know, I wanted to tell him, like, hey, I've got some ideas on how we can promote the football team and that, that kind of thing. And he pulled me aside. And he said, and I'll never forget this. I remember exactly the place in the student center of North Center where it took place. And he said to me, he said, hey, listen, you know, I'm new around here. And I thought, well, yeah, we all know that. And he said, but I know you're a senior and I know you're kind of a leader amongst the school, which I don't know if that was true or not, but made me feel good when he said it. And he said, I need a guy. I need a guy that can help me bridge the gap to connect to all the students here. And he said, if you be my guy, then I'll be your guy. And when I need to get something out there or when I need to to kind of get kids to follow what I'm trying to say, I just need you to be my guy. And I knew right then exactly what he meant. You know, he wanted me to, to be his PR guy or his hype man which was the easiest job in the world because it was like being the, the salesperson for winter parkas in Antarctica. I mean, everybody bought into Dr. White immediately. He didn't need me, but he asked me to do that. And over the course of my senior year, I developed an incredible admiration for him, but also this incredible feeling of comfort and trust where, and I had great parents and I had great coaches and great teachers, but 
you always feel like you're trying to kind of go your own way or there are certain things that you're not comfortable talking about with your parents or other such things. And anytime those situations arose, I went to Dr. White. And I don't ever remember a time where Dr. White didn't have time for me, ever once, including in my professional career where he became kind of a polarizing political figure in Indianapolis as he rose beyond being a principal. And I was within the media. He would always be there if I, if I wanted to interview him or if he was in the news and I wanted to get a comment from him. He always was there for me. But he, um, in my senior year, in the spring of my senior year, you know, I was a typical confused overly confident but insecure 18-year-old kid. And I was having a rough day at school one day, and I remember walking out of a class and I walked into his office, and he cleared his schedule for like an hour. And he said, why don't, why don't we talk? And I said, okay. And so we went in and he shut the door, and he told me the story of Dr. White. And he told me about his life and about his challenges and his upbringing. And he offered me the greatest perspective that I've ever been offered. And it changed me. I, I think it changed my appreciation for him, which was already very high. But it changed my perspective or illuminated to me the perspective that you never know where people are coming from. You never know their entire story. And you never know internally their thought process. And it's unfair to assume anything about them without knowing and hearing that out first. And he did that about me, and then he offered it to me about him. And it created to me this feeling of a respect and a bond that has never gone away. I mean, I'm 50 years old now, and I still have the same reverence for him. I still feel the same level of respect from him. And I've always taken tremendous pride my 50th birthday was a little under a year ago, and there was a surprise party planned for me. And I walked in and Dr. White was there. And a lot of my high school classmates were there, and they were, he was the star of the event. I mean, they were all taking pictures with him and talking to him, and everybody knew him and wanted to speak to him. And I was so proud of the fact that he came back for me for that moment. and. I think a lot of people know of my connection and my bond with him, and that is to me something of which I'm as proud as anything that's, that I've been fortunate enough to have over the course of my life and career. This is the voice of Jake Query. We'll have more with him tomorrow. We'll talk heart attacks and continuing education. That's tomorrow morning on Hearing Voices. This morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson, we continue our visit with Jake Query. Yesterday we talked about mentorship and the impact that it had on you. You had hosted a local radio show with uh, a partner of yours for many, many years. And when that came to an end, it did so abruptly and very publicly. How did that impact you? That's a really good question, Scott. And, and by the way, again, thanks for having me on again this morning. I mean, it's a pleasure. And, and certainly I've got a lot of respect for, you know, your the research that you do and, and these conversations and the work that you do in them. Um, I think in the course of my career, so I had worked in television. You know, I was a guy that grew up in Indianapolis. It wasn't by design that my career would stay in Indianapolis, but it just kind of worked out that way. And I'd worked in TV in Indy and been laid off from a job in that, but it was kind of a, you know, at that time I wasn't as established within the market. And I landed very quickly, I, I got lucky. Um, 
and I ended up in a radio position very shortly thereafter. I don't think I was out of a job for more than maybe a month. And I got into a position at WIBC Radio, which is how I got involved with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, and did that for a couple of years and then transitioned from there into doing an afternoon sports talk show, the one of which you speak with a guy named Derek Schultz, and we did a show together for almost a decade. And at the beginning of 2020, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to try to make this a short answer, but the answer would be this. At the beginning of the year 2020, I and I'm trying to think of the proper order here. I'm a huge Clemson football fan. I watched Clemson lose in the national championship game. Um, and that was by no means fun. Um, and then the next day I was walking to a gas station at like one o'clock in the morning. And as I was walking into the gas station, I walked into an armed robbery and the watchman of the armed robbery put a gun right to my head. And I thought, well, this certainly is not the way I intended my year to start. And then two days after that, I was laid off. So that's how my year began. And I remember thinking to myself, I have two choices here. One is I can consider this to be like this terrible luck and feel down about myself. Or the other is I can say, you know what? I survived having a gun to my head. I can certainly survive getting laid off. And I've been through it before. But I just kind of thought, I'm gonna take a little bit of time to kind of reset and figure out what I'm gonna do. And it wasn't easy because you have people that when you work in radio and you lose your job, you have all these people that are like, oh, he got laid off because they sucked and their show was terrible and this and that. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the social media world. And I chose to think of it as, you know what? I'm flattered that people are aware of the fact that I had a job and that they do what I did. And there, and then two months after that, COVID happened. And, you know, the world kind of shut down. And so I just felt like it was some way a message to me that it was time to just sit back and shuffle the deck and just reset everything and just basically do a reboot. So I saw the opportunity of that time away and that layoff, which was a corporate layoff, 3,000 people got laid off. I couldn't take it personally. I just took it as an opportunity to sit back, reboot, reset, and figure out what was important to me. And then nine months after that, I had a heart attack. And when you think about 2020, which was a terrible year for society, I understand it. I mean, COVID, the the shutdowns, the quarantine, it was awful. But for me, I look at it as, and I truly do mean this, it was probably the best year of my life because I was completely at peace with all of it. I was given a perspective of what really matters. And I was given an opportunity to make sure that what really matters was prioritized in my life. So in a long-winded, circuitous answer, my answer for you is the way I chose to handle it was I saw it actually as an opportunity to better myself and and to absorb what really matters in life. His is the voice of Jake Query. He joins me this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. I love the listeners. I would love to hear from you. The email, cumbersomelonghearingvoicesradio at gmail.com. And I'm available on Twitter at the Scott J. Watson. And if you're polite, I promise to respond. Jake, you alluded to a heart attack. It was not just your everyday heart attack. You're lucky to be here. I am. Um... 
And it's funny because you never know, I mean, I've talked about it a million times, you never know when, like, you get emotional about it or when you're matter-of-fact about it. And when you say that I'm lucky to be here, it, it, it's hard not to get emotional because you're right. Um, in October of 2020, I had a buddy, Mac Engel, who did radio and television with Adam Alexander and I in high school. He's now a writer for the Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And we grew up together, and Mac was in town. He still lives in the Dallas area. So he was in town, and we were, you know, this was right when things were starting to open up and restaurants were opening back up from COVID. And so we were going to go out to dinner, and I remember exactly what time my heart attack took place because I remember my girlfriend Shannon and I and a couple of her friends were meeting Mac at a restaurant in Indianapolis and at 6 o'clock. And we sat down, and I remember Shannon saying, did you, did you tell Mac 6 o'clock? And I said, well, let me check. And I was looking at the text messages in my phone and right when I saw Mac walk in. So I knew it was like five after six. He walks in, sits down, hey, what's going on? Good to see you, da, da, da. Sits down, hey, did you order yet? That kind of thing. And all of a sudden, and I remember like it was so severe that I didn't wait until there was a lull in conversation. I just immediately jumped in and said, my left arm just went completely numb and I'm very uncomfortable and I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. And then I sat back and took a deep breath and it felt like someone poured a hot scalding water into my sternum. And Mac looked at me and said, do you want to step outside? And I said, I do. And we started to step outside. We were sitting right by the exit. And so we started to step outside of the restaurant and my legs were like jello. And, and Shannon was still kind of talking with her friends getting because we all had just gotten there. And I remember I didn't want her to, to worry or be upset. So I said to her, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to bed check real quick, and we'll be back in a little bit. And I knew I was going straight to the hospital. And Max said, do you need me to call an ambulance? And I said, I need you to start your car. And we're going to drive to community hospital. Fortunately, I've grown up in India. I know every avenue and aspect of it. So I knew how close the closest hospital was. And I said, we got to go there right now because I'm having a heart attack. And he drove me about 90 miles an hour and ran red lights and everything else up to the hospital. And I walked, I walked into the hospital and said, I'm having a heart attack. And they took me back and they couldn't get the wires on me because I was sweating so much. And then they got the wires on me and I'll never forget the nurse looking behind me at the monitor and her eyes got the size of silver dollars. And she said, and I said, well, what's going on? She said, I will tell you that there is significant concern. And I remember my dad had had heart attacks. He's still living, fortunately. But I always knew my, my heart history, my family heart history. I always was aware of the possibility I was going to have a heart attack. I had said forever that I would never see 50 because I was going to have a heart attack. I knew I was going to have one. Um, and I remember thinking, like, okay, well, this is the precursor. This isn't the big daddy. This is the, this is the like, an, an aftershock before the shock. And... All of a sudden, I saw literally, not figuratively, but literally like a strobe light go off outside the room I was in, and all hell broke loose. I could hear messages and announcements, and the cardiologist walked in, and he said, hey, listen, here's the deal. My name is Dr. Benjamin Mottman, who, by the way, Benjamin Mottman, native of Grand Rapids, Michigan, undergraduate Michigan State, did medical school at Wayne State. Um, so he walks in and says, my name is Dr. Benjamin Mottman, and you are having a massive heart attack. You have a blockage of your main artery and it's 100% blocked. And two of the four panels of your heart have basically ceased working, but your heart's working really hard to keep it going. 
So we're going to take you right in the lab. We're going to go in and I'm going to try to break that clot open. And I knew what an angioplasty was. And I knew what a stent was because my dad had had them. And he said, well, we're going to do that, but we're going to get you feeling better. And I said, well, how long, like, when are we talking here? And he said, well, everybody's been paged and they have 20 minutes to get in here, but the clock's already started. So within the next 15 minutes, we're going to be taking you back. And so I said to him, I said, so doc, shoot me straight. So I'm going to die, right? And he said, well, I will tell you that it's a very critical 15 minutes, but I think we're going to be able to get you feeling better. And I said, okay. And then I said, are you a football fan? And he said, well, yeah, why? And I said, well, who's, who's your favorite team? And he said, the Lions. And I said, well, I would imagine what I look like right now probably is pretty representative of what it feels like to be a Detroit Lions fan for the majority of your life, right? <laughs> and he was like, hey, man, he goes, you know this is really serious, right? And I said, Doc, I know two things. I know it's really serious, and I know that I have no bearing on the way this turns out. So what you need to know is I'm cool with it either way. If, if I don't make it out of this, I respect that you're going to do the best you can and that it just wasn't in the cards for me. But if I do, I will do everything you tell me to do to get myself back to where I need to be. But I actually had, Scott, a moment, and I know it sounds crazy, but I did have a moment, it is true, where I went into like almost a, an out-of-body third-person experience. I looked it up after the fact. I was totally unfamiliar with this. I'm not like some overly like alien, spiritual, weird, cosmic person, but I had a sensation, which I now know, because I read about it, it's called Panoramic Life Review, which I think probably as much as anything is a form of like a shock. But I literally saw myself in the room, like from the corner of the room, at a third-person experience. And... I really did have that, that light flashing before your eyes where I saw basically the slideshow of my life. I saw all the things that I've been fortunate and blessed to do in my life. And then I asked myself if I was okay with that being my life. And I said to myself, well, I would have liked more than 48 years, but I have nobody that I need to call to tell them that I love them. I have nobody that I need to call to make up with them and make amends. I have nothing, no stone unturned that I felt I left unsettled. So I am cool with it. If this is it, I'm cool with it. And then as soon as I said that to myself, I was zapped back into reality and I could hear the, the noises around me again and boom, they took me back. And I was awake and alert and talking to him the entire time during my angioplasty. And by the grace of God and the training of Dr. Benjamin Moppin, I was able to, to be able to talk to, talk to you about it today. This is the voice of Jake Query. We'll wind up with him tomorrow. We'll talk philosophy and a college degree. That's tomorrow morning on Hearing Voices. This morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson, we wind up our visit with Jake Query. Jake, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, college, for a lot of us, happens when we're 18. Talk a little bit about your college journey and the good news at the end of the rainbow. Well, my college journey was uh, I was a very average student in high school, and I was a huge fan of Indiana University and their athletics and just the university, the campus, all of it. But I knew when I was a senior in high school that my academic shortcomings were not going to allow me admission to Indiana University. So I decided to go a different route. I chose to go to University of Kansas because it was a lot like Indiana, but it was 500 miles from home, and they accepted me, most importantly. And 
gave me a little bit of money for scholarship for broadcasting. So I went there. And quite frankly, Scott, at the age of 18, I was too immature, um, too naive, and probably too arrogant to be that far from home at that age. And it did not go well. I basically sat and soaked for a year and, and was angry that I wasn't where I wanted to be. So I did not perform well. And But my parents said, look, you made the decision to go 550 miles from home. You've got to stick it out for the year. So I did. And then I ultimately kind of had to pick up the pieces and take a circuitous route to end up in Bloomington at IU, which I ended up doing. And while I enjoyed my time at Indiana, I always felt like from a career standpoint that I was on a treadmill that I needed to get into a faster pace towards my career because I really felt like I wanted experience as opposed to academics to be able to launch a broadcast career. And so I had been going to a television station in Indianapolis since I was in the sixth grade, shadowing them, loitering basically. And I think they just realized like this guy's not going away. And so a semester before I was done at Indiana, I went into the TV station and said, if you guys can actually hire me right now, even on an hourly wage, I'll, I'll take it. And they did. So I never went back. I never finished. My mom would occasionally mention it to me. And a year ago, a little over a year ago, I was doing a radio show with my now colleague, JMV at the fan in Indianapolis. And he referred to me on the air as a graduate of Indiana. And I immediately corrected him and said, John, I'm not a graduate. I'm a product of Indiana, but I did not graduate from there because I never, I always felt like it was important to be transparent about that. And the next day I got a phone call from the commissioner for higher education in the state of Indiana. And she said, listen, we have 700,000 people in the state of Indiana that have college credits that they didn't finish. And maybe they just need an example. Maybe they need to know that their classes and their credits didn't expire and they can still finish, which I thought they expire as well. It's an urban legend. So she said, are you willing to go back and do it publicly? And I thought long and hard about it. I tried to convince myself as to why I needed to. And then I realized, Scott, that while maybe at the age of 50, it's not going to be the boulder in the stream of my career, professionally speaking, it's never too late to better yourself, certainly intellectually or just in terms of your experiences. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I went back and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had to change my major down from, I was originally an English major. And while my classes didn't expire, some of the classes that I had taken, the upper level classes that matched with those are no longer available. So I just changed into a general studies major, which caused me to have to pick up some additional hours. I needed 39 credit hours um, over the course of however long I wanted to do it. I did it over the course of a year. My math classes were by far the most challenging. I've always had a mental block with that. I had a, a wonderful, wonderful tutor that was a friend of mine's mother, Terry Means, who had taught math in Indianapolis. She met with me once or twice a week for anywhere from one to two to three hours at a time, laboriously and patiently waiting for me to pick up algebra and other mathematical concepts. I did it to the best of my ability. I was able to pass those classes, which I was thrilled with. Um, and thoroughly enjoyed my time just being with her. And in May, I, I graduated with a degree, a Bachelor of Science in General Studies from Indiana University. My parents were thrilled about it. Um, and I was proud of myself. I was proud that, A, I would say it was more time consuming than it was challenging. Um, 
but I was proud that I dedicated myself to it and that in doing so, I've had a fair share of people that have come up to me to say, you know, I heard you talking about it on the radio. I saw your tweets or your posts about it. And so I decided to go back and get a certificate or go back and finish a degree or start college for the first time as an adult. And the fact that other people were able to see the example of an average student guy whose only skill set in life was being in the right place at the right time still himself managed to get a degree and for that to inspire others, I took great satisfaction in that. And I was very appreciative of the opportunity and the reality is that my parents worked very hard, neither of them being college graduates, to raise a household where all three kids had opportunity to graduate from college. And both my sisters had graduate degrees and I didn't have a, an undergrad degree. So I wanted my parents to know while they're still living and healthy, which they fortunately both are, that their work was not in vain and that I took their message to heart. And even though it took an extra 28 years, I finished what they envisioned for me to be complete. And that's one of my favorite stories. We visit this morning with Jake Query. He is well-known to sports fans throughout the Midwest, and he's also well-known to race fans, as he is the Turn 3 announcer in the world's greatest radio network, the Indianapolis Speedway, Motor Speedway Radio Network. One of the things we like to do with our better-known guests is play word association. I've got six things written down. You've got 10 seconds-ish to comment on each one. Heart, heart health. Uh, say that one again. Heart health. Extremely important, never too late to become conscientious of it. Get a very easy and non-invasive heart scan as the first step towards making sure that you're healthy. Being a mentor. Reciprocity, because we've all had people in our lives that have impacted us, and the most important thing in that is being able to pay it forward because you never know the impact you might have on somebody else. And likewise, you may have been impacted by somebody who didn't understand their role in impacting you, recognition of which is not important so long as you're continuing that process for other people. Ed Sorensen. <laughs> exactly what you just said. Um, the ultimate mentor, a guy that was a very popular sportscaster in Indianapolis in the mid-80s, and I called him when I was in the sixth grade and told him I wanted to be a sportscaster, and he opened his door to me. He gave me complete access to his life personally and professionally. And every day when I go into work, it is my hope that Ed, who is aware of what I did, is proud of me because of how he is the one that unlocked so many of the doors that I'm able to take advantage of today. Derek Schultz. My co-host for 10 years and still is on a podcast that I do. Um, incredibly talented and his greatest skill and talent is not having to be the guy, even though he is the guy. He's the brains and the glue behind 90% of what I've done in my career the last 10 years. And he has been able to be both of those things by gladly accepting a role that is publicly almost seen as the antithesis of that, but zero chance that I am doing half of what I'm doing today had I not been serendipitously partnered with him a decade ago. The Indy 500. Greatest event in the world, greatest sporting event in the world, and the only event that you will attend from a sporting standpoint where you will feel a personal connection to it 
and the other 300,000 people with you will feel that same connection, each of which convinced that their connection is more important and more personal than everyone else. But a fraternal feeling of pride of everybody to be there to encompass and collectively embrace and absorb the greatest collection of humanity and human spirit for one event over the course of a day. And finally, a look in the mirror, Jake Query. A guy that looks in the mirror and fondly sees all that is behind him in that mirror, but also is invigorated by what's in front of him, not in the vantage point of seeing himself, but rather knowing that so long as you continue to embrace, absorb, and appreciate what's behind you, you will get opportunities before you that are of equal reward. But somebody who without question from my girlfriend, my career, my friends, and my family probably doesn't deserve all the riches that I have, but is extremely grateful for them each and every day. We've got 10 seconds. Plug the podcast. I appreciate that. Uh, the Query and Schultz podcast is available from the ISC Sports Network on all of the available podcast formats. And then, of course, also my morning show on The Fan, Kevin and Query, available at 1075thefan.com. Jake Query, thanks for the time. Thanks for the visit on Hearing Voices. Always a pleasure, man. I 